Hello, and welcome to the next episode of If Women Were Meant to Fly, The Sky Would Be Pink. You take the rough with the smooth. I'm Inido Tun. In this episode, my flight time increases substantially on my way to becoming a senior first officer. I am seconded to another company as a co-pilot for six months. And some colleagues pay a heavy price as aviation grows quickly in Nigeria. I have never shirked hard work. In fact, at some points in my life, I've done little else. Also, once I'd escaped some of the negative scripts of my childhood, I realised I loved learning, and I still do to this day. So, as my career progressed, I learned more and more about the things that accompanied being a pilot. I liked spending my spare time with the engineers and the avionics engineers, learning more about the aircraft and its systems. I've always been really fascinated in the way things work. I love fixing things and putting things together, even IKEA furniture sometimes. Those who know me in more recent times know I had a bike repair business up until the pandemic called Spokeswoman. Great name. Thanks, Lucy. Anyway, quite often I would arrive one or two hours earlier than my scheduled report time for the afternoon flight and night stop. This would allow me to have a coffee in the crew room and catch up with my colleagues. I could often be found in the air-conditioned avionics workshop with either Sharish or Yewande. Both are avionics engineers. I learnt so much from them, mainly about the radios, the weather radar and autopilots. I can't tell you how invaluable the hours I spent with them was to my understanding of the equipment. The kind of personal experience that you can't get in textbooks. The same could be said of the engineers. The hours that I spent peering into the Pratt & Whitney PT-6 engine, either mounted on the aircraft or suspended just off the hangar floor for maintenance. We logged anything that was wrong with the aircraft in the associated tech log. Now, to younger listeners, the record-keeping system will sound really archaic because in those days, it was an A4-sized blue hard-backed file suspension system with multiple form copies of various colours, each assigned to various operations or technical use and archive. As a young co-pilot, I was not privy to the inner workings of this impressive document. This was the captain's domain, and was filled out and checked regularly before, during and after the flight. From a loose switch to an engine vibration, a dead radar or a leaky co-pilot right-hand seat window, As I recall, it always seemed to be the co-pilot's window that leaked in heavy rain, often leaving the hapless first officer with a soggy right side. Fuel loads were documented here from the usual sources, our large underground storage tanks or from the Bowsers, that were the property of the various oil company aviation fuel departments. As fuel shortages were a regular occurrence in Nigeria at the time, and this included aviation jet A1 fuel, you had to know where to look and you had to get inventive, such as the case in a country like Nigeria where shortages of many essentials were common. We would often have stocks in our underground storage tanks as well as the fuel barrels stored at various airports around the country. 
Jos was one of those airports. Jos is in the north of Nigeria and was our Shell employee holiday location. And these flights were scheduled on a regular basis at the weekends, with returns on Monday. We operated them from each of our three bases, Lagos, Wari and Port Harcourt. Because fuel was scarce on a good day in Jos, we had a fuel storage system. Our own shell provided Jet A1, and it would be stored in the fuel compound, and each barrel consisted of roughly 200 litres of Jet A1. However, this was a messy job. For a start, the barrels had to be brought to the aircraft, remain upright so that any contamination or water would settle, and the fuel pumped into our tanks using the fuel pump kit that we had brought with us, which was stowed in the aft baggage bay. If you don't know, Jet A1 is like kerosene. It stinks, and it stays on your clothing and your skin. We had to go through the process of testing it before it was introduced into our tanks, and when the whole process was over, you felt soiled and smelly. On more than one occasion, I managed to soak either my trousers or shoes in fuel as I extracted the pump, and had to spend the entire flight breathing in fumes and feeling more than a little gross and yucky. Such is the life of a pilot. Certainly not one of the most glamorous parts of the job. The long Joss trips did wonders for building my hours and my experience as I was able to gain confidence on the empty sectors, which had the co-pilots planning and executing the flight. And depending what stage you were at and who you were flying with, you would sometimes be in the left-hand seat. Life for me at that time was pretty good. I was in a happy place emotionally. It was a bit tense at times living in the same apartment block as my mum and once I'd started working as a pilot I became responsible for all the bills and there were a lot of them. I was happy to do my bit. My salary was excellent compared to many but for a while that responsibility felt heavy on my young shoulders. On the whole though, I had reconnected with old school friends such as Abigail and I was moving on apace in my career. Part of the plan at Bristow to help develop co-pilots in the company at the time was an agreement to second co-pilots to a sister oil company. They had a small set of offices at the other end of the general aviation ramp and operated two twin otters just the same as we did. They were similar in layout and so it was fairly easy to transition to their aircraft. We did, however, have to receive additional training in their standard operating procedures. At first, I was quite apprehensive with my chief pilot, David, asked me to drop in and have a word. On the one hand, I was honoured that they thought I would be a good representative for the company, but on the other hand, I was extremely nervous and uncomfortable. I had spent all my time up until now getting familiar and learning the ways of Bristow and Shell, and now I had to put that to one side and retrain myself. Schedules were also different in that I had more night stops rostered and was away from home more frequently. Ugh. Change can be uncomfortable in many contexts, I guess, especially when you've only just found your feet. The setup was as to be expected, very American, given the ownership of the company, but I quite enjoyed that, having spent seven years living and training there. In addition, after three months with them, I would be sent to Toronto in Canada to complete my DHC-6 Twin Otter training on a dedicated simulator. So that was an exciting prospect. I'd never been to Canada before and had always wanted to go, plus I certainly felt that I would benefit from that experience, and so I agreed to be seconded for six months. 
For the first couple of weeks in my new secondment, I continued to show up in the Bristow Ops Room, only realising my mistake when I wasn't on the crew list and, and then realising I should be up the road. I was conditioned for Bristow, and for the next six months I had to retrain myself to show up at the right place. My duties were much the same, slightly altered for their operations, so it was not difficult to slip into this new mode. I had several interesting captains that I flew with, but one in particular, who although he was not outwardly hostile to female crew members, did want to be seen as a god on the flight deck and made it clear that he was the man. I found it rather funny actually, mainly because I never took this kind of attitude seriously anymore. I'd met and seen off countless detractors by this time and I had enough miles under my belt to feel confident about the job I was doing. I seemed to be paired with him more often than I would have liked, I think because he thought he would be seen as the flight deck authority on everything whilst he flew with a woman. For the purposes of this story, let's call this particular captain Kevin. Colleagues suggested that Captain Kevin suffered from Napoleonic syndrome because he was smaller than his other male colleagues and whilst things like that did not really register with me, his constant arrogance and need to dominate rubbed everyone up the wrong way. I'd been treated unfairly because of my differences so I wasn't about to join in with any nastiness towards a guy but his behaviour was tiresome to say the least. He was actually a really good pilot and I really respected him but I think his ego got in the way. I was impressed at his handling of the aircraft and his knowledge was vast. He could even be funny at times. We would fly longer routes to the company base in eastern Nigeria called Eket, which was approximately 292 nautical miles from Lagos and took about two and a half hours. Eket was a great place to stay and although it was mainly crew quarters on a helicopter base, the food was good and it was comfortable. I made friends amongst the crews and engineers and they were always very welcoming. Bristow's also had a helicopter base there. At the weekends, if you were scheduled to be on duty, you would spend the weekend at the crew quarters, and this was a great time to devour all those Russian classical novels that I liked so much. I'd always liked reading, but had rarely had the time or inclination to get lost in books. However, having been stationed down route and with sometimes a lot of time to wait between flights, I had started reading classical novels. I remember tackling war and peace to begin with, something I never thought I would have the patience to do, and, and then more and more of the classics. I was lucky that our rotational eight weeks on, four weeks off pilots were only too happy to bring me back a stack of new Russian classics from the UK. Sometimes I would get the opportunity to catch a ride with one of the Bristow helicopter pilots who were flying routes out to the oil platforms and back. And as the Bell 212s at that time were single crew for the most part, I got some valuable insight and experience into our helicopter operations. A few years later, I would have the opportunity to join the helicopter cadets and train as a helicopter pilot back in Redhill. More about that later. There was nothing quite like the helicopter flying we did at that time. It was very different from my fixed-wing flying, but I could definitely see the attraction. This was something I never admitted to at the crew bar as the fixed-wing and helicopter pilots would continuously rib each other as to the validity of the type of flying that we did. I remember gems like, the only way a helicopter gets airborne is because its rotor blades beat the air to death beneath it. Helicopters don't fly, they vibrate so badly the ground rejects them. <laughs> Isn't that weird? A strange one-upmanship that really ought to be left in the playground, but is probably played out in all kinds of different professions as grown-ups. 
His aviation grew in Nigeria. So did the notion that owning an airline was a short-term money-making bonanza. This was down to the mistaken belief that owning a fleet of aircraft was a simple and easy business. Some of the newer kids on the block were better than others. The ones that took the time to build a business that would grow exponentially in the long term had a better outlook. You just couldn't cut corners with expertise and experience. But even then, accidents happened, and sometimes they were very close to home. I had several co-pilot colleagues on this journey with me, and we all wanted to reach the pinnacle of our careers. One of them, who was a good friend, decided to leave the fixed-wing world behind and concentrate on his true passion, helicopters. He was accepted onto the cadet course and off he went to Redhill. Seven months later, he returned and was stationed in Eket, eastern Nigeria, as a Bell 212 co-pilot. We were now on opposite sides of the great fixed-wing helicopter divide, but we were so happy for him and the fact that he would get to achieve his dream. All that came to an end on the 24th of February 1991, two miles south of an oil rig in Eket. He was killed in a helicopter accident weeks after his return from his rotary conversion course. We were stunned and shocked that not only had he lost his life, but that his dream had died with him. He was known and loved by all his colleagues at our Lagos base, and we took his death badly. Our friend, the young, fresh-faced 31-year-old, brought home the fragility of life and the danger of our profession. It was a huge thing for me. For the first time, I was confronted with the concept of my own mortality, and even today, so many years on, it is emotional to recount the experience. Little did we know that we were to repeat this many times over during the course of our careers. This was to be the first of several occasions where I would don my full uniform to bury my friend and colleague. Rest easy, Olusholai Shola. You have never been forgotten. Just before I go, my lovely friend, Mr. Colin Mitchell, wrote a poem for me on hearing that the podcast had got to number one in the aviation podcast charts for the United Kingdom. He is a very talented poet and I'm hoping that someday soon he will share his poetry with the world on Instagram. I will be the first to announce it right here when he does. Well done for being number one, telling us how the sky was won. You are an amazing pilot who I admire a lot. We've known each other for years, who still can't handle a beers. You are more than a frequent flyer. You are an inspiration who can soar much higher. Keep doing what you do. All our love from us to you. Colin, that was an awesome poem and I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. As always, thank you for listening. Your reviews and comments are very much appreciated. Thank you to Lucy Ashby for the editing of this episode. If you want to ask a question or make a comment, please do on our social media sites. Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or email us on theskyispinkpilot at gmail.com. That's theskyispinkpilot, all lowercase, at gmail.com. You can also contact us or look at our website, which is www.skyispink.co.uk. In the next episode, I take the opportunity to use my flight instructor's licence at the Resurrected Lagos Flying Club seniority brings its perks and I finally have a social life. Who would have thought? Thank you and goodbye.